day belongs to you. No day belongs to the devil. This is your day. We're going to praise you. We're going to love you. We're going to tell all of our friends about you. We're going to tell all of our neighbors walking around on the streets today about you. Hallelujah. And Father, whatever is scary, whatever is evil, we cast it out in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. What the wicked glorify, Father, in your name we cast out. And we pray for deliverance to come to this nation, that we'll be delivered from evil, that we'll be delivered from that which is vile, and that you will keep us as a church shining bright forever for you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Let's bless them. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God today is the hallowed eve of All Saints Day, going back into church history. But I believe that today is God's day, no matter what a religion has said or what the world has said. Amen. Now, some of y'all want to send each other to hell over today. Looking at you guys on Facebook, Spartans fighting over Halloween. God bless you. I love you. I hope that you still love us. The beautiful thing about our church is we're not afraid of biblical discussions and battles. But let me just uh, share with you our heart as a church. And some of you, let me just say this, who have been with us longer than a year, this is not a surprise to you. We are the same. We have not changed. Nothing has changed about us. We believe that every day is a day for you to decide in your conscience how you're going to serve God, okay? We obviously believe in shunning evil, so anyone who wants to dress up today, don't dress up evil, okay? But anyone who thinks that someone dressing up is now sharing in that which is evil, that's between you and God. We don't share that conviction here, okay? And some people are sharing false information about Halloween, and we're trying to help you understand whatever you believe about it. Here's the information. Others are saying quotes from Antoine LaVey, the founder of Satanism, that he loves when people do this because they worship the devil. That's a false quote. You can look it up. The Church of Satan doesn't even attribute that to him, and they mock us for continually having satanic panic. Somebody say satanic panic. Look it up on Google. Over 12,000 times in the, since the 70s, Americans have blamed things on Satanism that hasn't happened. Now, have things been done in the name of Satan? Can I hear an amen? Yes, things have been done in the name of Satan, but can we stop saying things have been done in the name of Satan that have not been done in the name of Satan? How many know we don't need a lie to tell the truth? We don't need a lie to tell the truth. Here's what G.K. Chesterton said. Idolatry is committed not merely by setting up false gods, but also by setting up false devils. By making men afraid of war or alcohol or Halloween, I could put in there, or economic law, when they should be afraid of spiritual corruption and cowardice. So listen, if you say to hell with Halloween, God bless you. Join the team. Go out preaching tonight. Do whatever you want to. Do it unto God. But if somebody's child in this church is dressing up as a superhero, do not condemn them. Now some people say, well, the church of Satan loves it. But you also know there's the temple of Satan, and they're at war with the temple of Satan. They're two main satanic groups. They don't even get along. Makes sense because they're, they're divided, Right? But they don't even get along. But if you look at their websites, as I had to do at 12 o'clock because I was watching y'all debate. Do you know what their fav- one of their favorite holidays is? Is your birthday. Because it's all about selfishness. One, one of the uh, holidays, of course, is Halloween. You guess, guess what the other one has? They have different holidays. That's why I mentioned that before. Guess what one celebrates more than anything else or just as much as anything else? What they call Sol Invictus Christmas. 
Oh, wow, that's satanic. Well, give up your birthday, give up Christmas, and go to the watchtower tomorrow if you want, you know. The Jehovah Witnesses don't even pledge allegiance. Here's my thing, my friends. I'll be preaching more on this on Galatians because I want to honor God today in John. I didn't used to celebrate anything. I still don't celebrate Christmas or any of these things, you know. Sometimes I let my kids do a little bit of this. I only read the King James Bible. I wore a suit, and I thought I was holier than everybody that didn't. Trust me, you don't want to go that route. If you truly fear for God or fear for people during this time, pray to God for him to open up people's eyes. And if you want to have a debate and a discussion, do it with truth, not with a lie. Don't share some false quote from Antoine LaVey that the church of Satan is mocking Christians. Literally, you can find it on their Twitter account. Christians say Antoine LaVey said this. They didn't. Ha, he didn't. Ha, ha, ha. Look at them. And then if you look at the feed of the church of Satan, who's their father is the liar, the liar, the devil, they get upset for Christians for lying. But anyways, if you look at him, you know what they say? Christians lie all the time about us to make themselves feel better, to do these things. I'm saying to myself, why do we need to lie about the devil? There's enough to tell on the devil already. (laughs) There's enough to tell on the devil. Why do I need to lie on the devil? You understand what I'm saying? I I don't need to lie about the devil. So, So here's the thing. Anybody who thinks about evil or doing evil, I rebuke you in Jesus' name, don't do evil. Anybody thinking about dressing up as Iron Man and all of that, that's between you and God, okay? So today belongs to God. You want to pray? You want to go witnessing? You want to fast? You want to go cast out demons? Do that in Jesus' name. You want to go out and get candy? Do that in Jesus' name. Just make sure you're not dressing up as something we're going to cast out here in a few minutes at the end of the altar call, okay? Okay, John chapter 1, please. I'll go more into it by God's grace in Galatians because it actually fits in. But that's my heart on that, okay? So if I, I'm not giving up um, uh, my Christian freedom because some people feel that uh, they can't do certain things. I tried to do that, by the way, you know, because the Bible says give up certain things out of people's, uh, uh, you know, th- their proclivity. I began to realize that was really just around them, you know, because I was giving it up in life in general. Let me just say this as a, as a story. We get to John chapter 1. I was uh, teaching in Bible college many years ago, the book of Galatians, and I began to understand that we in the Pentecostal church added so many man-made laws to the law of God. And and listen, and it wasn't me in any way trying to get away with stuff. At this time, I hadn't listened to secular music since getting saved. I hadn't really watched any movies except Lord of the Rings or something that had a Christian context to it, okay? And um, I was looking through Galatians, and the Lord just convicted me because the Bible says in Galatians, the deeds of the flesh are obvious, It's obvious. When my child puts on an Iron Man mask, whether it's today or tomorrow or or he did a year ago, is it obvious he's in sin? I don't think so. I don't think that's obvious. Does everybody get what I'm saying? But the Bible says it's obvious, the deeds of the flesh, sexual immorality. How many know that's obvious? Now, there may be a gray line between what is uh, inappropriate dress. You know, some people may say, well, sometimes it's not obvious what somebody's wearing. But how many know when you cross the line, that, that becomes quite obvious? How many know anger, rage, wrath? Those things are obvious. Bitterness, jealousy, all of these things, right? And that's why I think we go back to G.K. Chesterton because we in the Pentecostal church, I would hear messages devoted towards TV and movie the entire time. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, whether or not I watch TV does not change what's in my heart. Does everybody get that? And I went, I mean, I grew up uh, really preaching in the South because I went to Bible college at 19 in the South New Orleans, and Jimmy Swagger had already fallen at that time. And so we were aware that Jimmy Swagger wouldn't even let the boys wear shorts in gym class. They had to wear sweats. The, you know, there was no swim team for their, their, their church and all of that. But then this man was getting prostitutes. Are you listening to me? 
And, this, and the same thing here with the first Baptist church, Jack Scott. You know, he would preach against everything, man. Women, you wouldn't like going to that church unless you liked having your hair up in a doily and a long skirt all the time, you know. Wouldn't let you talk in church. And then the man's having sexual relationships with an underage minor. So I began to, you know, I'm looking at this, I'm reading through Galatians, and I began to understand that if people are weak in their conscience towards the gray areas of life, whether it's towards alcohol, you know, don't get drunk. How many know drunkenness is obvious? Okay? Some people are like, well, I don't know if I'm drunk. I'll tell you then, okay? Just come to my house tonight. Come to my house in your, in your nurse's outfit, ladies, or whatever. You're going to try to get scandalous away uh, after you had five of your cocktails. I'll tell you, okay? It's obvious to everybody else, right? It should be obvious to you. But anyways, I'm looking at the scriptures, and I'm going, nothing here about whether or not I can read a novel or watch a novel or a TV show or whether or not I can dance to a secular song. Because, by the way, the denomination I was raised in still doesn't allow dancing, Unless it's in church. As a matter of fact, my wife and I got married. We were going to do Greek dancing. That was about it. And maybe a mother-daughter dance. Like, like, there was like three dances. Me with my mom, her with her dad, and then the Greek dance. And they wouldn't uh, allow us to do it within their, their area because that church still believed that dancing outside of church was a sin. Okay, are you guys listening to me? And so I said, are you guys listening to me? And so I, I just, I'm looking at the, and I'm, you know, I'm going to have to preach this in the second service because we're going through Galatians verse by verse as, in the second as we're going through John here. And I was, uh, you know, looking at Galatians as a young Bible college professor, and I'm like, if somebody asked me where I'm going to show them all of this stuff in the Bible, I have nowhere to go. I'm debating people all the time where I have to go to scriptures and prove these points because people do not get it. And yet, if you ask me where you can't see a movie, I'm going to have to go before uh, to the psalm where it says, you know, put no wicked thing before my eye. And then if you ask me where you can't watch TV, then I'm going to have to go there. And then I'm going to have to, why you can't play video games. I'm going to put so much in that verse, put no wicked thing before my eye, that I'm not even going to be able to, you know, read the Bible now because Delilah's wicked and that's before my eye. Are you listening to me? So I had to start to understand, I mean, what's the difference here? Like, why, why is it when I want to tell somebody about a false Christ, I can go to Jesus warning about false Christ? I can go to 1 John warning about false Christ. When I want to preach against homosexuality, I can go to Romans chapter 1. I can go to Leviticus. I can literally describe to you the act in the, in the Greek where it says one receiving and one giving in, in homosexuality. When we talk about, you know, idolatry, I can show you idolatry as a cow. I can show you idolatry as a bull. I can show you, you know... The, how they sacrifice their children. But then you ask me about whether or not you can drink alcohol. I have to now go back to the, the story of Jesus at the wedding and call it grape juice. Has anybody ever been in a church like that before you loved them, but you knew that some stuff didn't fit in the Bible? Come on, getting quiet now. Let me turn on my fan. Look at you nice folks right here. I know. I mean, it's just like you love, you love God. They love God. My friends love God. My pastor friends. And my whole thing is, like, sometimes people say to me, like, are you defending it? No, I, I don't care. I don't care. What I'm doing is I'm just defending against your dogmaticism. That's all I'm doing. Honestly, dear God, let me just tell this to you. I have not celebrated Christmas in over 20 years because I was convinced as a young Christian that every time you bowed down to get a, uh, you bent down to get a, tr uh, a gift underneath the tree, you were worshiping that tree. Are you listening to me? I still don't celebrate it, but y'all going to curse out people. You're going to curse them as Paul did, anathemize them. In Galatians, you're going to anathemize people over Halloween, and yet you're going to bow down to that Christmas tree. Don't come around here. I'll set you straight in Jesus' name, you and your Santa Claus devil. 
I remember going to Bible college, and my friend said a long time ago, he said, because we would go to Bourbon Street, and they dress up like that all the time, and there was witches out there, the real deal, you know what I'm saying? We would go out there, and my friend would say, you know what's more scarier than Bourbon Street is the mall, because the mall, they're so greedy, they're so filthy, they're so deceptive, and yet they hide it in their hypocrisy. So my friend said he'll cast out the mall devil, Amen. That's why whenever I use examples, I don't talk about like Marilyn Manson and stuff. I'll talk about Oprah because that's the one I'm concerned about, amen, sneaking in on you and all that, you know, giving you that false belief. So anyways, I was looking at the book of Galatians, and this is what I felt the Lord say to me. Now, it's up to you how you read these books, but I really felt the Lord say to me that Christian maturity is you learning to discern good from evil for your walk with the Lord. Because not everything is black and white. Some of you may not ever want to celebrate your birthday again. Because it's about selfishness. It's about you. Seriously, you may not want to do that. You may say, you know what, I don't want to celebrate my birthday. I I was always somebody that had to make birthdays about me. The whole month was about me. And now God has told me not to do it. But you see, that's just for you. And when I was in Bible college, my president of the school was an expert uh, guitarist. And he had been paid to play guitar all throughout the secular world. And when God uh, got a hold of his heart, God said, I don't want you to play guitar again. Now, do you want me to make that a law that everybody here, we don't play guitar? Now, I know sometimes people say, well, man, it's different because of this and that and this and that. And some witch over here said this. Do you know that I've been around long enough to have a lot of these witches come out and say they made up half their testimony? Some of them are like, I made love to the devil. The devil came in my room. I made love to him. And I got his devil's child. I got a devil's child. I got a devil's baby. I've been through all this. And they on the circuit. They're preaching to you and all this. And then like five years later, false witch exposed. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying every witch is is crazy, but I'm telling you, even the Satanists don't get along with each other. I was doing a debate one time with a witch and a warlock, and the warlock was a former witch, you know, a male witch, whatever, and he was on my thing, on my podcast, trying to set these other witches right and doing a debate. They began to debate amongst themselves whether they were a real witch, how did you get ordained as a witch, who was your daddy witch, your mama witch, witch, what witch school did you go to, you know, and I'm sitting here saying to my, who cares? Y'all full of the devil. That's what I know. Y'all full of the devil. So some witch says, man, I don't want to celebrate Halloween because I used to drink kids' blood. Good, dude. Don't do that. And then he says, well, I don't want you to do it, man. That, that's, that's not for you to tell me what I can and can't do. You know what I'm saying? Somebody says, I used to get drunk, pee on myself, and hit on people at the bar till I get punched out by the, by the bouncer. I don't touch alcohols. They're, therefore, pastor, you can't have a margarita. All right, man, do what you got to do, but I'm still having a margarita. You all listening to me? I mean, you, you pee on yourself when you get drunk. All right, don't drink then, dude. What don't you get about that? Don't, don't you drink. You're not supposed to drink. And then there's other people. I'm serious. Then there's other people here just like Paul. And I, I, I'm going to tease Paul a little bit. Oh, I don't want to have sex. I want to be single the rest of my life. God bless you. Go be single. Go be a nun. You have permission to go be a nun. You can go do that. But I'm going to make babies in Jesus' name. Amen? I told myself I was not going to do this. I literally told myself, you just go into John chapter 1, verse 1. Don't you say nothing about it. Don't you just pretend it's not even a a day called Halloween. I literally told myself right back there. I said, when you come up here, you tell me, get into the Bible. Don't talk about Halloween. 
Don't talk about how, but then it started with that praise. It's the Lord's day. You see what I'm saying? It's not the devil's day. And then I just go there. But Galatians will go into more details. So here's the beauty of our church. Here's the beauty of our church is, is we love people sparring over the details. We love people sparring over the gray areas. Push the light further into those gray areas. We're not just saying just leave it alone. Yeah, push the light there. Talk about it. Say what you're convicted of. Don't do it with a lie. Do it with truth. Explain why you think a birthday celebrated by Satanism and it's not bad for you to celebrate and why you can celebrate Halloween. You know what I'm saying? Or, or not celebrate Halloween. Like explain the differences. Do the nuances. Put in the work. Look at the history. And let me just say this about Christians because we saw this with QAnon and didn't I not rebuke them early on before it was cool to rebuke them? I told my wife, because my wife was always like, oh, it's about ready to happen. It's about ready to happen. And I'm like, what? Oh, the National Guard's going to take over and then Trump's going to do this and that. And I said to her, I said, basically, I'm giving you one time for this thing to see if it happens or not. And you know they always used to put dates on it. So it was like a year ago. It's going to happen by March. The National Guard. And then like you know like the National Guard was driving their Jeeps like in our city going from one place to the other. And people were taking pictures. They're coming. Here's the National Guard. Here's the National Guard. They're coming. And then that day, that day comes and goes. And I'm like no. And then she tried it again. I said no we're not doing that. Not in this house. That QAnon stuff, throw it right back in the garbage. That guy that got arrested, putting on antlers, being a Viking, whatever they are, I'm not that. Are you listening to me? I'm not that. I'm not with that one. I'm with another one. But then I love when people say it's on, uh, you know, TikTok and all these things, uh, you know, Instagram right now. You don't believe any of the conspiracies. I understand you don't believe all the conspiracies. Anybody see what I'm talking about? That's no, okay. I'll keep doing it. You don't believe any of Man, you better believe at least one or two. You can't think they bat in a thousand. I'm, I'll be honest with you. I think there's got to be some conspiracies out there, okay? I'm not the one going, no, there's no conspiracies. They're always telling us the truth. No, there may be aliens out there, and wherever that is. What is that place? They think there's aliens? Area 51. There may be aliens. There may be the Nephilim. In my worldview, aliens are demonic half-breeds between man and, and, and people, uh, man and angels before the fall of Noah, but they can come back and be regenerated. Isn't that weird that I sometimes believe that? I do. I do. I Believe it or not, I sometimes believe in the Nephilim. Look that up sometimes. But uh, yeah, let's say they have some Nephilim that have some hidden technology that they call aliens. So what? I'm going to heaven with Jesus. Amen? Now, if you want to go do that, if you want to go storm Area 51 and bring on the tribulation a few more minutes quicker than what it was already planned for, you can do that. And I say this with all grace and mercy and respect because some of you guys know I love Bevy. How many know I love Bevy? Bevy told me about her plan when she was here. We're going to go to the mayor's house at 2 in the morning and put the biggest speakers we have, and we're going to preach to her and tell her she's going to hell. So they're, they're like, hey, man, do you want to do that? I'm like, no, I don't. And then, and then she's like, but do you know anybody else that wants to do it? It's going to be a secret plan. And I go, nope, nobody I know. <laughs> nobody I know want to do it. And then they all get arrested. Y'all listening to me. Then they all get arrested. And now these court dates keep going on and on and on. And God bless her because if God told her to do it, that's between her and the Lord. But listen, don't do just what somebody else does because you feel that's what the Lord has said. You better find out for yourself what the Lord has said. Amen. I stand up when it's time to stand up to the government, but I'm not going to her house at 2 in the morning picking a fight for then for me to be arrested and for her to throw everything at me now that she's been wanting to do. But somebody might be like, well, what about John the Baptist? He did X, Y, and Z. That's right, and it cost him his head, and you better be ready to lay down your life for that. How many know there's a time to do that? 
So I appreciate Bevy for being all crazy and wild, got 10 lawsuits halfway across the country in New York and in Chicago, flying from lawsuit to lawsuit. God bless her, you know what I'm saying? But I just, I just say, I don't want to get arrested today. God hasn't told me to get arrested. I'm sure there will be a time when it will be my time to get arrested, but today's not that day. Everybody in John chapter 1. So whether or not you want to get arrested for Jesus today, whether or not you want to dress up or not get dressed up, whether or not you want to drink or not drink, whether or not you want to be celibate your whole life, or whether or not you want to become a married person, would you do it all unto the Lord? Amen. For the kingdom of God is not of eating and drinking, but it is of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And let's make sure that we're uh, listening to the Lord and using correct facts as we're doing those things. John chapter 1, if you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Amen. Love pastoring a great congregation. Thank you for this journey. Okay, look at it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What a transition to that. Amen. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Look at verse 9. The true light that gives light to the world, to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. His own did not recognize him. His own did not receive him, rather. Yet look at this, verse 12 and onward. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, who, who he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Everybody say, born of God. Amen. I want to stop there today and say, receive him. Somebody say, receive him. Amen. I want to just encourage you today to receive him. When we look at the scriptures, we're seeing that you have a choice about whether or not to receive Jesus. Now, notice the, the context of this is that God is so great, he sent his son for us, and that he came and walked among us, but people did not recognize him. And I want you to notice that, that those who did not recognize him could not receive him. But if you could recognize him, you could what? Receive him. And then if you received him, you would believe in him. And then believing in him, you would get a right. Somebody say a right to become a child of God. See, here's the problem in our culture right now. We don't recognize Jesus. How many know our culture has a problem with recognizing Jesus? If I listed out some attributes of Jesus and put them next to the attributes of what the real Jesus is, and then put them next to the attributes of what people think it, Jesus is, I can almost guarantee you they would get it wrong every time. For example, if I said, which one sounds like Jesus? He will break every knee, bring them before his throne, and have his sword be dripping in their blood, or telling everybody, live their best life, you know, have happiness, 
do for them what they need to do, you know, discover themselves, manifest their truth. How many know if there was a choice between which is the real Jesus, everybody would pick the false Jesus in our culture, at least most people would. They would say, oh, the Jesus that says, I got to be me, that's the Jesus I'm following. The Jesus says, be true to thyself, that's the Jesus that I'm following. The Jesus says, don't judge anybody, that's the Jesus I'm following. But go to Psalm chapter 2, please. Just go to Psalm chapter 2. How many know messianic psalms are still relevant for today? The psalms that talk about uh, Jesus Christ coming to ruling and reign, how many know those are relevant? I don't look at the Old Testament and say, well, that was just when God was upset. That was before he had his coffee. I don't look at that. You know, he woke up grumpy, and then he, got, he had his coffee. Now he became happy Jesus. I don't look at that. This is the same God. How many know it's the same God? How many know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Look at Psalm chapter 2 when he comes to rule and reign. Or excuse me, not, not Psalm, uh, yeah, Psalm 2. Look at when he, when he comes to rule and reign. It says here, in verse 5, he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. What does he do in his wrath? Terrifies them. I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. And then we hear now that the son is being anointed to be king. You are my son. Today I have become my, uh, your father. Ask of me and I'll give the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. Now look at verse 9. Let's read verse 9 together just like we will read in John three sixteen. One, two, three. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Now, if I said to somebody, is that your Jesus? That Jesus, I'm talking outside of this church for an example, right? If I said to people outside of this church in the culture today, I said, here's a person that's going to come and he's going to break people like pottery with a rod of iron. Some of us got whipped when we were kids, and we were whipped well. Some of us were not whipped well, and you were abused. I feel sorry for you. Please do not repeat that abuse, okay? But I was whipped well most of the time, I should say. I was whipped with a belt, my mom's hand, a spatula till it broke on my behind, and a twitch. I did get that a few times from my grandma. I was given that. I was never beat with a rod of iron. Could you imagine what that would feel like? That's like a baseball bat. Some of us old school people remember what it's like keeping a bat in the car. A rod of iron is like a baseball bat. Jesus says when he comes, or the Father speaking about Jesus says when he comes, he will break them with a rod of iron. Now, is it any wonder we don't recognize Jesus? Now, you say, well, what about the passages of love? I understand that, and you understand that, but you see, you got to understand this. See, if all you're waiting for is a Jesus of love, then you won't recognize Jesus when he comes in judgment. You will not recognize Jesus in judgment. And how many know Jesus is still here and he's judging? It's not just Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not just way back then in the time of Noah. It's not just that time back at the Passover. No, go to Romans chapter 1. Some may say the wrath of God is being poured out. Now, I know sometimes I get into discussions with my grace friends, and they go, well, Jesus took all the wrath, and I believe he did. But I believe it is still allowed to come on those that do not have Jesus. So I want everybody to know where I'm at on this, just so you can know, because I am a grace person. I'm going to be talking about grace. So hopefully I'll even get to it today, but we'll see. 
But what I believe is that when Christ absorbed the wrath of God, he did it like an umbrella, okay? And if you're in Christ, you are outside of that wrath. But that wrath is still available for those who are outside of the umbrella. So in other words, if you want some wrath, there's some there for you to come get. But if you don't want any wrath, there's a place of grace and there's a space for you to be there, amen? So look at Romans chapter 1. This is Paul understanding the gospel. So don't anybody put this in the context of the Old Testament. This is Romans chapter 1 because he's already mentioned the gospel. Look at verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Notice this. For in the gospel a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. Somebody say, that's me. Somebody say, that's me. But keep on reading, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Does everybody see the word being there? Brother, highlight the word or just scroll over the word being right there. It's in verse 18. Look at being. What, pres- what tense is this verb in? This verb is in what tense? What is it in? Present tense. Presently, Jesus Christ is pouring out wrath on this world of sin. Presently. Some people might say, does COVID have something to do with it? Probably. Does corruption of leadership have something to do with it? Yes, God handing us over to the wickedness of people. Does the rise of the occult and Satanism and witchcraft and things like that have something to do with it? Absolutely. Uh, Does the rise of STDs and sexually transmitted disease have something to do with it? Absolutely. Did you know that we're on the rise right now as a culture? COVID didn't slow anything down. It just made it worse. Look it up, STD stats right now. We are increasing. How about suicide and the increase of that? You think that has something to do with the wrath of God? Yeah, I think you can pack a whole lot here into the wrath of God. Diseases, false Christs and religions, witchcraft, STDs, the brokenness of the family, violence on our streets. And so God is saying, there it is. It's going to be revealed if you don't come to me. See, I'm up here in verse 16 and 17 because I've recognized what Jesus did for me. Because I have recognized the real Jesus, I can now receive and believe and be given the right to become a child of God. Has anybody else here recognized Jesus, received Jesus, believed in Jesus, and received the right to be a child of God? then you're not under the wrath of God. Though it's around you, it is not upon you because he did not destine you or purpose you or make you for wrath. That's what the Bible says. But is the wrath of God being revealed right now? It is. And so going back to John, what do we see here? Is that the Bible is saying that you have to first recognize him. But the Jewish people didn't. Now, I want you to notice this. This is not cutting it down with an axe. We're going to go with a scalpel and do a surgery that's going to be precise right now. When we see the Jewish missing of Christ, we see that they're not missing Christ because they're idolaters. We're not seeing that they're missing Christ because they are obsessed with sin. We are not seeing that they're missing Christ because they have much false doctrine. 
Here's where they're missing Christ. They don't understand his covenant of grace. They had got so consumed in the law that they felt the law was the end of the covenant, not a means to an end. They thought that the law was the thing that it was all about. Instead of understanding that the law came from a lawgiver and really what it was about was understanding him, his nature, his, his, his attributes. So in other words, they became worshipers of the law instead of worshipers of the lawgiver. Are you tracking with me? And what is the danger today with us as Christians is that we do not see that it's God who gave us his grace to see his face. And that's where they missed him because they didn't understand that their God, it was their God because it wasn't the God of the Romans. It wasn't the God of the Greeks. It was their God. Some may say the Jewish God. It was their God that wanted a face-to-face -face relationship with them. And it was their God who gave them laws to keep so that they may have that face-to-face -face relationship. But they had to want a relationship and not just the laws. Imagine uh, parents having children that say, Dad or Mom, I'll do everything you say, but I just don't want to hang out with you and be with you. I'll, I'll clean my room. I'll have a clean room. I'll eat all the good food, the vegetables. I'll exercise. I'll do my homework. I'll pick the right friends. I'll do all of those things, but I just don't want to hang out with you. How many parents here would be okay with that? No, because let's be honest. You want more from your children than just their obedience. Their obedience is important, but you want more from it. You just don't want them to have a clean room. You just don't want them to pick the right friends. You just don't want them to stay out of trouble. You want them to do all of those things. Those things are important, but you want them to do it so that they'll become the kind of person you can have a relationship with and enjoy, and others can enjoy a relationship with them. In other words, you're giving them those rules in that order so that they become a good person, as the people say in our culture, though we know none's good without God. But you get the point. You're doing this so that when they're 20 years old, you want to hang out with them. You're doing it so you're not ashamed of them when they go to school, right? Like you want to be proud of them. I want you to think about this. The Jewish people said, look at us, look at us. Remember the rich man with Jesus? Perfect example of this. Here is God the Son in the flesh wanting to meet with them face to face. And what's he wanting to talk about? All the laws that he keeps. And then Jesus says, well, if you really want to try to push yourself and see how far you can go, you want to max out on this thing of keeping laws, how about you sell everything and give it away and come follow me? See, what Jesus said is, hey, you say you are about the law. Let me see how about the law you really are. And then let's see if you can recognize the most important thing, which is being my disciple, forsaking all and following me. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then what did that rich man do? The Bible says he walked away sad. Why? Because his identity wasn't what he did for God. His identity wasn't in relationship to God. His identity was, I do this and I do that and I do this for God, but I'm not necessarily with God. He had missed being with God by all the things he was doing for God. That's how they didn't recognize him. Think about that just for a moment. That's how they missed him because they couldn't understand the next verse we are about ready to get to. But I have to have you understand this because so often, I've said it before, sometimes we are anti-Semitic by reading the Bible because we think the Jews this and the Jews that. The Jews are just like you. 
You are just like them. I'm just like them. We think to ourselves, they're so much worse than us. No, they are just like us. They are a representation of humanity. You would not have done better than Adam. All I have to do, ladies, is look at your closet, see how many shoes and purses you have. You're not better than Eve. Oh, I look at this person. It is good for the taking. I know my husband says when I do of this, I shall surely die. I will be cut off from the credit card. But I hear Satan saying to me, I hear my friend saying to me, oh, but you'll be so fine. You'll be like one of us. And then she taketh of that purse. She taketh of those shoes. Same thing with the men. Come on, men, I, you know, idolaters of all of these little things in our lives, of our sports stars, you know, of all these things men put their money towards, forsaking God, because we all just want to have these selfish desires and things. And we think we're better than Adam and Eve. We think we're better than the Jews who didn't recognize Christ. And in, and in fact, we're actually not. They represent us. I, I feel that when people begin to hear about Christianity, and it sometimes even comes from us, what they hear from us is all of these rules that we keep and do. And then we wonder why they don't see the Jesus that we're trying to give them. It's because really I didn't come to Jesus so that I could, you know, be better at being a person to stop drugs and do all that. I came to Jesus because I knew of a man and I knew of no other who had died for me to come to know me, to love me, to be with me. As a result of that love and grace, I gave up drugs. Absolutely. I gave up lascivious living. But what came first? What was the first thing? The relationship or the law or the commands? What was the first thing? The relationship, the recognition of who Jesus is. Go to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You see, what separated the disciples from those who were missing it, and by the way, they didn't always get it, is they caught the revelation This is the one who made us, and he's with us. You can begin to see that recognition begin to happen throughout the experiences of these disciples, and it's exciting to see it. I wish I could go through all of their experiences and to see how their mind opens up to recognize Jesus and to compare it, take it allegorical into our lives. Take, for example, Peter. He's out fishing. He's not catching anything. Jesus says, hey, let me go back out with you. What happens? They get into an argument. Peter's like, man, I'm a fisherman. I'm the son of a fisherman. I'm the great-grandson of a fisherman. My daddy, my daddy's, my daddy, all back here were fishermen. Now you, some religious teacher, you're going to take me out fishing? I've been out all night. Then they go out and he casts out a net. Jesus says, cast it out. And there's so much fish, they can't even bring it in. And then what happens to Peter at that moment? At that moment, Peter says, oh, who are you? You must be special. You must be different. And I think about all of us arguing with God. Oh, God wouldn't ask me to do this, or God wouldn't ask me to do that. God would know I'm an expert in this. God knows I'm an expert in this. And God is saying, I'm not looking at your expertise. I'm not looking at you that way. Some people say, I'm a self-made man. No, you're a self-made mess. God is not looking at your expertise. God is saying, I'm the creator. I know what you don't know about your job. I know what you don't know about your marriage. I know what you don't know about your children. I know what you don't know about this culture. Cast your net here and see what I will do. And that's when you recognize him. That's when you see him in a way you've never seen him before. 
God calling me to be a preacher. Honestly, it's like, man, I'm not a preacher. I don't know anything about preaching. I've been trying to deliver pizzas. I want to go be a businessman. And God says, no, get back out there, cast your net here, and see what I'm going to do in your life. Never being in a relationship myself more than three months, and God says, no, I want you to get married. I want you to have multiple kids. And I'm saying, God, I don't know that. I don't know anything about that. He's saying, no, go back out, cast out your net, and watch what I will do. You see, we begin to recognize him when we see what he's doing and we trust him. That little bit of mustard seed faith. At another time, he says, go over. Go over to the other side. I'm going to meet you guys there. I got to pray. I got to talk to my boss. I got to talk to the father. So they go out in the boat. They do their thing. They're going. Then a storm comes. Now listen to me. If you're on a plane and you see the stewardess freak out, how many know that's time for you to be concerned? Okay. If you want a plane and the stewardess is chill, everything's chill. Just relax. Just relax. When the stewardess is like, dear God, she's doing the sign of the cross. She's putting her thing in. You better start praying. Make sure you're right with the God of heaven and earth. You about ready to meet him. Are you listening to me? How many know fishermen been on boats before? They're scared, the Bible says, out their mind. They're scared. They're freaking out. Fishermen who, who are on the boat <clears throat> all the time. I think about the most deadliest catch. You ever watch that show out there in Alaska? They call it a normal day when they're about 20 feet up on these waves crashing down. They're excited throwing out those pots to get those crabs and all that. I'm like, dear God, I'd be freaking out. But how many know if you've ever watched the show, there's sometimes they do freak out. There's a time that they do freak out, and that's when, they, that's when it gets serious. All that other stuff you can take. So I think about these fishermen. If they're freaked out, something's going on. And then in the distance, what do they see? They see a ghost, what they think is a ghost. And who is it? It's Jesus. And then what does Peter say? Man, if that's you, Jesus, if you're the one that I've been hanging out with this whole time, come on, somebody, get this, recognize him. If you're that one I've been hanging out with this whole time, tell me to come to you. Tell me to come. I'll come right out here. I don't care what we're going through. I'm coming to you. Tell me it's you, Jesus, and I'm coming. And what happened? Peter goes out. What do we see in these situations in our life? When we recognize him, that he's the storm walker, that he comes in the midst of our storms when we're the most afraid, and he says, look, walk through this with me. Walk through this with me. And when did Peter begin to sink? When he saw the wind and the waves and he wasn't looking at Jesus anymore. See, a lot of people say, I can't believe in Jesus because I went through this. I can't believe in Jesus because I went through this. But there's a whole other group of people that say, I believe in Jesus because I went through this. I believe in Jesus because I went through that. I believe in Jesus because he was there when I went through this. Because I always ask myself, and I know you probably have as well, where are the other disciples? See, they didn't see Jesus. They didn't recognize Jesus. They didn't want to take that step of faith with Jesus. We're all going through problems, aren't we? Some of you quitting on Jesus because of your problems. I can't quit on him because of my problems. If this is what it's like going through it with him, oh, God, have mercy. I can't go through it without him. I won't even make it through the week. I'd rather go through it with him. And there's another time talking about Jesus in a storm. Once again, Jesus loved putting them in storms, these poor fishermen. They're always probably telling Jesus, like, look, we're not supposed to sail right now. My dad told me, no, you don't sail when you see stuff like that. Jesus is like, let's just go. And then they're in the middle of the storm. And you could just imagine disciples, man, this is like the second, third, fourth time I'm in a storm because I listened to this dude. Now I'm out here. We're going to die. And then they go looking for Jesus. Jesus just sleeping, 
I'm telling you, some of my friends, you guys like that. You sleep all the time. Some of you sleeping right now in church. You sleep on the city bus. I'm like, how do you sleep on the city bus, man? What is wrong with you? Most sketchy people in the world on that bus and everything going wrong. You sleeping on the bus. I remember one time I took a, a flight to India, 15 hours. People were just sleeping the whole time. I was sitting next to this dude. He was sleeping the whole time. I'm like, man, how do you sleep for 15 hours? I'm up here wondering what's going on in my life. I'm thinking about the deep things of the world. This guy's just sleeping the whole time, 15 hours on a flight. Some of you all like that. That's what Jesus was like. And these fishermen are freaking out. And they're saying, man, dear God, do something. And he just gets, gets up. Oh, what's going on, fellas? Be still. Everything stops. It's like, man, what are you guys freaking out about? He just changes the weather. Seriously, man. He just changes the weather like you and I would just, you know, a kid wakes us up. Oh, it's cold, Mom. It's cold. Oh, okay. I mean, just, just tap on this thing here. Put it up to 70. What does God teach us in those moments? He's not scared of what you're scared of. So often we come to God with our worries instead of our praise. And we call that prayer. Oh, God, let me just tell you how bad it is. God, let me just tell you right now. It's so bad. It's so bad. God, let me just tell you. And we spend 30 minutes in our prayer because, oh, God, it's so bad. And if you just cared, if you just cared, you would do something about it. And, you know, the old saying is true. Instead of telling God how big your storm is, tell your storm how big your God is. Hello, somebody. My God is with me, and he's going to fix the situation, and he's going to do it in his timing. And you know what? Sometimes I think about it. Maybe even the greater faith would have been, hey, Jesus, make some room. I'm going to take a nap with you. You're the son of God anyways. You already told us we're going to make it to the other side. I've kind of learned a little bit about the fish. I've learned a little bit about how you do stuff, casting out demons and all that. I'm just going to sleep next to you, Jesus, and see what happens. Because what's the worst that happens out of our problems? We die, go see Jesus, go be with them forever, see all of our loved ones who have been there before. That's the bad news of this thing? All right, I'm just going to go with them. I'm not going to be scared. And we think of that as like, oh, we would do differently. No, let's be honest. Many times we won't recognize Jesus because we don't know who we're with. We miss the relationship. Being on that boat with Jesus in those various times, being religious would have done nothing for you. You had to recognize Jesus in that relationship. I want to tell you the story about the prodigal son in a new way. Can I do that? Let's go to the book of Luke, please. I believe it's Luke 17. I want you to see the story of the prodigal son. See if you can recognize what Jesus is like. Thank you. Uh, Luke chapter 15. Thank you. Luke chapter 15. I want you to see this here. Look at what the prodigal son does. How many know he was messed up? How many know he did some wrong? How many know that pretty much tells the story of most of our lives? Amen. And I say this in all sincerity. I know some of you have not been a prodigal son. Praise God. You have known the Lord from a young age, and you have continued to know him. And that's the, uh, the promise that I want to keep for my children as well. Can I hear an amen from parents? So young people, let me just say this real quick, because I know sometimes you hear my stories. I was talking to some people the other day, some young adults, and I was telling them my testimony, and it just, like the blank stare on their face, I just realized, er, you went a little bit too far. You scared these kids. Seriously, because I was like, I was a high school drop. Because I'm like, what's it like in your high school? And I was like, I was a high school drop. I was selling drugs. I was having sex and girls uh, with uh, girls in their car. I was out here doing all this stuff. It's like, is that what it's like at your high school? And they just looked at me like, no, Pastor, we don't do that. Uh, maybe there's somebody over there that does that. Uh, but I pretty much go to school. 
I'm getting good grades. Uh, no one has offered me drugs yet in the bathroom. And so I was like, eh, okay, let me just back this up here a little bit. Uh, my testimony has scared you. Um, that's not what every high school student, I guess, is like, uh, selling drugs in the school, wiling out, and, and parents wishing right now that we still had the children's ministry back there so kids wouldn't hear this. But every now and then, seriously, there's a teenager that's being forced to come to church, and they have to be here because their parents brought them. And they're just thinking to themselves, hey, let me just figure this out real quick. Let me figure this out. If the preacher used to be crazy and wild, and they came back to Jesus, maybe I can be crazy and wild and then come back to Jesus. It's a win-win. It's a win. How many know teenagers are slick sometimes? They're like going to be crazy and be all wild. One time I was acting up in Red Lobster with my, my parents. I've been going there since a little kid, by the way. That's why I love that place, if you ever heard me talk about it. So I was there with my parents, and one time I was acting wild and crazy. And my dad said, if you don't stop, I'm going to take you to the bathroom and whoop you. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way he's doing that. There's no way. So I tested him, and he, he grabbed me by the arms, and he was, was leading me off to the bathroom to be whooped. And my dad says, as I'm getting led off, I just turned around to everybody, pray for me. Pray for me. And so I let out my prayer because now I want the grace. Now I just I throw in that Hail Mary of grace. You know, come on, Dad. We just went to church. Uh, you know, you're supposed to be kind. You know, you're supposed to be all this. My dad's like, no, this is kindness. This is me helping you. This is me loving you. Sometimes young people, they think to themselves, I'm going to go be a prodigal son, and then I'm going to come back. It's a win-win. I get to do all this stuff. Then I get to ask God to forgive me. It worked for the pastor. It can work for me. Mom, dad, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be crazy. Don't worry. I'm going to come back. I'm going to say I'm sorry, and then I'll come to church when I'm in my 20s. Here's the sad part about that. Many adults, you know this. Some of our friends have not come back. Some of them are buried right now. Some of them have lost their minds. I'm being serious with you. I'm not saying every mental illness is somebody's fault of their behavioral choices, but some of my friends lost their minds on drugs. Their minds are literally gone. I can name them to you right now. I have had to see them in assisted living because the drugs they did. There are people that I know that are handicapped. There are people that I know that are in jail. There are people that I know that have not met their biological children. There are mothers that I know who have killed their children because of their past life. And then for those of us <clears throat> that are here today who are prodigal sons and daughters, how many know your worst nightmares, cold sweats in the middle of the night, your worst temptations are the things you did in your past? Seriously, I have woken up young people in cold sweats being at the party that I was once at as a young adult. I'm telling you because it is not something that I ever want to go back to. And so those scars of the mind, yes, God heals, but sometimes after there's, the, there's a healing, there's a scar. And I have scars on my body from breaking into places. I have scars also on my mind. Are you listening to me? That I wish I never had in my mind because of things I did. Some people just locked up right now. They checked out. Oh, these are bad scars. I can look at some of you going into your past. Don't go there now. Come back. Come back. Lip starts twitching. <laughs> telling you, how many have had, how many have some past that you can't all, you can't tell it all right now? Like I said, I was talking to these young people, and I said, okay, okay, let me just back this up a little bit. Uh, don't chew gum in school. Don't back talk your teacher. You know, stay away from the bad kids. You know, things like that. But I want you to see this in the prodigal son story. I want you to notice something. 
The prodigal son says something about his dad in his, his mind, in his testimony about what he's going to do because he didn't recognize who his dad was. He didn't really know who he was. Look at this. Start at verse 17 of chapter 15. When he, talking about the prodigal son, came to his senses, this is what he said. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Somebody say, that's good. Now look at verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. How did the prodigal son recognize his father? He saw him at this point as a taskmaster. He said to himself, my dad only wanted me to be good, and I didn't do good. Now since I've been bad, when I go back to my dad who's only wanted me to be good, I got to admit my failings, and then I got to tell him, because I wasn't good, I'm not worthy of being your son. See, that's religion. That's not understanding who God is. That's why the Jews were missing who Jesus was. But notice what happens when Jesus does show up. Notice in the story. But while he was still, when the prodigal son is coming, notice this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. See, the father wasn't trying to be a taskmaster, saying, just do these things, and then you can become my son. Or if you don't do these things, you won't be my son. And that somehow, maybe in his mind, the father just went back to business as usual and forgot all about his son. No, what we see here is that the father is waiting for the son. And he must have been doing that on a daily basis because what was different about that day to the father? In this story, the father wouldn't have known, would he? Would the father have known that his son was coming back home that day? So how did he know there to be waiting? Because the nature of the father was always to extend grace. You can notice in this parable that the father was waiting to give the grace. The father was waiting for the prodigal son. And when he sees him a long way off, the father sees him filled with compassion, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Notice this. The son says what he said he was going to say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, somebody say, but the father said. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. He's giving him sonship. Somebody say sonship. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son. Come on, somebody say this son. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to what? They began to celebrate. At that moment, the prodigal son probably now realized the reason why he had left to begin with. He never knew his daddy. Most backsliders don't know Jesus. I just want to be honest with you. I do believe you can know Jesus and backslide, but many of you are backsliding from a false Christ because you don't know the real one. When I ask you about the Jesus you've backslid against, many of you don't know who he is in the real sense. You talk about a Jesus that wasn't there for you, and that's why you left. But remember, we just went through stories where Jesus never leaves us nor forsakes us. If there was a Jesus who left you, you were with the wrong Jesus, or you didn't recognize where Jesus was in the storm. Are you listening? 
So many times I talk to people and they say, I got to go back to my sin because my sin is my identity and Jesus is keeping me from my identity. He's keeping me from these things and what he's holding back from me is really what I want. I'm like, you got the wrong Jesus because the Jesus that I serve sees you greater than that sin and your identity is not in that behavior. It's in who he made you to be, a son or a daughter with a ring and a robe ruling and reigning with him. How many know if you are in a good relationship with a rich father, you don't ask him for money so you can leave and do your own thing? You're in the father's business. Why do you need to ask for the money? It's already got your name on the deed. You're, you're, it's in the name. It's in the name. You're in the father's business. But he couldn't recognize that he was in his father's business. He couldn't recognize that all that was the father's was his. He couldn't recognize that he was not being judged on his behavior. He was being judged on the integrity of the Father. You see, we're saved not by our behavior, but on the integrity and the love and the mercy of God. Of course there are things to do in the Father's house. Of course there are things that we are supposed to uh, uh, take part in and be obedient to. But that doesn't determine our sonship. How many know you're a son because he wanted you to be a son? How many know you're a daughter because he wanted you to be a daughter? I got to get to that point here. Do not lose me in this right now. But I got I to show you this in the prodigal son. Whose choice was it to make him a son? The father's choice. And I know some of you jumping ahead. You know this is an illustration of God and us. But I don't have time. I wish I did. But notice who doesn't still recognize him? The older brother. Look at it, verse 20, 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near, he heard the, the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and said, hey, man, what's going on? Your brother's come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has uh, come back safe and he's sound. Verse 28, the older brother became what? Became angry. Why? Because he doesn't recognize. He doesn't recognize God as a good God that doesn't judge based on behavior, but judges based on his character. You see, the father allowing this prodigal son to be a son shows more about the father than it does about the son, does it not? It shows how good the father is. But all the other brother could focus on was how bad the son was. He couldn't see it. Come on, everybody listen to me here. The other brother could not see how good his father was. All he could see was how bad his brother was. And so often you and I miss what God has for us because we're looking at how bad we are. We're looking at how bad the situation is. We're looking at how bad Chicago is. And we're not understanding how good and merciful our God is to let us live another day, to be in this city, to have what we have because it shows his grace and it shows his mercy. The son, the the brother's rebuke because he doesn't know the relationship. Go back to John chapter 1. He came to tabernacle with them, but they didn't understand it. He came to be with them, but they didn't understand it. But as many as recognized him, as many as received him, go up a little bit for me, please. As many as believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Think about it. Not born out of natural descent. Go up a little bit more for me, please. Up into the scriptures. It's going to be around verse 12. Not out of natural descent, not out of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 
This is where my friends who are Calvinists say, see, it wasn't our choice. It's not our choice. It's God's choice. But hold on. Isn't our choice to receive him? Isn't it our choice to recognize him? It is. What is it his choice to do to make us sons and daughters? Now go back to the prodigal son. It was the prodigal son's choice to come back or not, wasn't it? But it was the father's choice to receive him or not. Does everybody get that? Just because the prodigal son came back, does that now mean he deserves a ring and a robe? No, he's right about the point. He doesn't deserve it. But it was God's choice to give it to him. Going back to John, everybody see this. God has not made us his puppets. Vinny, would you come, please? God has not forced himself upon us. God is reaching out to us in this world through his grace, and he has tabernacled with us. And he's asking you to recognize him. Scroll down a little bit, and I want you to see this, um, this image that I have here for you. When you look at John talking about Jesus coming to dwell with us, it's very reminiscent of the Old Testament tabernacle. As a matter of fact, when it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, it literally means he tabernacled with us. I want you to turn with me. I'll leave this up here, please, but I want you to turn with me in your own Bible to Exodus chapter 31, verse 10 in closing. You see, the other brother didn't recognize it. The other disciples on the boat didn't recognize it. Are you going to recognize Jesus today so that you might receive and believe in him and receive from him the right of a child of God, the right to become a child of God, and all the rights that go along with that, the signet ring, the robe of righteousness, to be able to rule and reign with him? Look at the Old Testament example in Exodus chapter 33, verse 10. In your own Bibles, look at it here. When the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. So what would signify to them it's time to worship God when they would see that pillar, when they would see that cloud, when they would see it rest over the tent of meeting, over the holy place, those folks knew at that time we begin to worship. The Lord would speak to Moses as one would speak to a friend. Then Moses returns to the camp, and Joshua would be with him. But notice that in verse 10. When they saw God come to the tent of meeting, they stood at the entrance of their tent and worshiped God. Everybody get this. When the Holy Spirit would come in the book of Exodus and uh, during the Exodus, we would watch the Israelites come out to their tent. Do me a favor, Lauren. Go uh, in my office and pull down that picture. Some of you haven't been into my closet, uh, the office. Uh, we're not doing confessionals there, uh, but uh, this is the closet we have made into an office. And even Pastor Ray, when he came last week, he saw what's above my head, what's above that chair. Every pastor shares that same office, by the way. It's always above our head. And he said, man, I want that picture. Where'd you get it from? And I told him about it. Because I never want to forget the reality of what Christ did and what he's doing now. Because when you see it in the Old Testament, you can recognize it in the New Testament. When the tent of meeting would have the glory cloud the people would stand before their tent.
and meet with God. Notice this, tent to tent. He comes to his tent, and they would stand before their tent. Isn't that powerful when you see that? That's how they knew that it was time to worship God. Here are the people coming before their tent. God told Moses, he said, when you see me come to my tent, somebody say his tent. You go to your tent. Somebody say my tent. And you begin to fellowship with me. When Jesus became flesh, that's what he did. But the tent was no longer canvas. It was flesh. But there were people who didn't know he was in his tent. People walking by him, not understanding him. People making fun of him. His own brothers, his own half-brothers and sisters, Mary's other children, making fun of him. But every now and then, there would be a woman like the one who had the issue of blood. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Who saw that the glory of God was coming by in a tent and said, oh, I know what to do. What God said in the book of Exodus, when we see God in a tent, we're supposed to come from our tent and we're supposed to reach out and touch Him. Everybody around Him, nobody getting a miracle. He says, but who touched me? Somebody who knew how to recognize Him. Somebody that knew how to recognize when Jesus was among them. Peter seen the tent of Jesus walking on the water and said, Oh, I heard in Exodus, when I see God come in a tent, I'm supposed to come from my tent and be where that tent is. Call me Jesus. I'm coming. I'm putting my tent next to your tent. So many of us don't know that Jesus has pitched his tent in your situation. He has pitched his tent in your marriage. He has pitched his tent in your high schools. And he said, does anybody see me? Do you see me here on diversity alone? Who's coming to their tent to worship? Who's coming in their tent to covenant? Who's coming in their tent to receive power, a miracle? Come on, somebody. When you see the glory come, you're supposed to come to your father. And like in the prodigal son, how is the father? I've been waiting. Come on, let's go. Let's take over the college. Let's take over the business world. Let's take over this high school. He's waiting. That's why sometimes I love it as Pentecostals. We're passionate when we pray. I would rather have wildfire than to be the frozen chosen. But sometimes I feel like in our prayers, we always trying to beg them and yell at them to come. God, come down here. God, come down here. God, we need you. God, come down here. And God, if we could see him the way they saw him, he would already be there with Wide open saying, I'm right here. Ask me to do something, and I'll show myself powerful in your midst. We've got to acknowledge he's here. You've got to acknowledge he's in your situation. You've got to see him for who he is and the promises that he made. He is with you. He has not forsaken you. We're having our sister here. She went through cancer, but she saw God in the tent. She saw God in the tent. 
And every time she went to chemo, she came out her tent and met with God. And when she was losing her hair and had to lose all her hair and put on a, put on a do-rag, come hood to church, she said, I'm going to come to church with my do-rag on and meet with my Jesus because he's put a tent next to my tent. There is no situation, there is no problem that we'll ever face where that tent is not there. That's what he was showing us in the incarnation. That's why he said, I got to go after the resurrection. I got to go so I could send the Holy Spirit. He'll be with you and abide with you. And where he is, my Father, and I will be. Can we all stand up today? Come on, somebody. Bless his name if you want to. Somebody, if you got something good to say to him, say it now. We thank you, Jesus. If you need something, tell them what you need. Let's close in prayer right now. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, praising you, worshiping you first, and then asking you to meet our need. Altar workers, man, would you come in closing? But would you recognize he's in the tent meeting, the tent of meeting, wanting to meet with you? Father, I pray we see you now in our midst see you in our marriage. You'll never get a divorce if you see Christ in your marriage. You'll never give up on your children no matter how bad they get if you see Jesus in your family. You won't give up on this city if you see Jesus is here. A few moments, if you don't know Jesus, ask him right now to come into your heart. That's literally what we're talking about. To tabernacle now on the inside of you. Ask him to come into your life to change you. Say, Father, I've sinned. Forgive me. Though I'm not worthy to be a son, I ask that you bring me in, that you welcome me. Forgive me of my sins and give me what you've given every other sinner who's called on your name, eternal life, sonship, daughtership. Come on, sinners, pray it out right now and you'll leave out here, saints. You will have received the right to be a child of God. And everyone here that's already a child of God, would you look at your heart and see if you're recognizing him? Do you recognize him on your job? Or are you allowing the discouragement of this world to take your faith for, for what God has you there for? Are you allowing the world to discourage you? Are you allowing the world to tear you apart? Maybe your own temptations, something that's not of God. Get rid of it today, Christian. And say, I'm coming to you, Jesus. Forgive me, transform me so that I may be close to you closer than I've ever been a few moments right now close to you Jesus so close come on just sing that out Desi just say the word close and put Jesus in there somewhere please so many of you right now you feel far from God but he has tabernacled with you by the Holy Spirit if you do not have sin in your life that means you don't have anything to confess but you still feel like he's far you need to start praising him and acknowledging him because faith cannot be where unbelief is, and unbelief cannot be where faith is. You have to drive out that unbelief. Drive it out with the faith. Confess that he is who he said he is. He'll do what he said he would do. Read Psalm 23 this week and believe it, even if you may not feel it. Today, God wants to be close to us. Any great change that's coming to your life and my life has to come through sonship. You will never be able to do what God has in front of you until you have the ring of authority, the robe of righteousness, until you're back in the Father's house. You can't do this without him, in other words. I pray for every high schooler right now.
that has ungodly family that you have to go back home to, I pray right now you'll see God is in that house with you. Do not give up. I pray for every one of our teenagers that are in school that feel like there is no godly there, uh, no one's godly there. I pray you will be the light shining in that place. I pray for every troubled marriage. I've mentioned that a few times. I pray for every troubled marriage for you to see God in your midst and that you will not give up the hope today. Do not leave the Father's house. There is nothing outside of the Father's house that you need. Come on, and I want to pray for some older brothers, or uh, the other brothers, rather. If there's any of those uh, people here today that sometimes you don't get what God is doing in others' lives, and you don't see how good your God is, you just see how bad things are around you and how imperfect people are, ask God to take away that spirit of pretentiousness. It's easy to think you're better than everybody else, isn't it? But ask God to make you humble and contrite. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, there we all go. I pray today that we encounter God today, recognizing Him, receiving Him. Come on, somebody say, I receive you, Jesus. I receive you, Jesus. I receive all that the Father has for me. Some of you need to speak to the situations of your life right now and say, I speak with the authority of God. I call forth new life into my, my, my business, new life into this city, new